Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. Thank you for joining us for our 100th episode. James, 100 episodes. We couldn't have made it this far without our listeners. We appreciate everything you do to support us in the Politics War Room. This week, we are joined by journalist and the storied former New York Times health and science reporter Donald McNeil to talk about COVID. Remember, we take your questions each episode, so write into politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Politicon for next week's show. We'll get to as many as we can, and don't forget to tell us where you're from. Also, please check out the link to this week's sponsors, Chili Technology and Blinkist, in the show notes. We thank you for supporting our sponsors. It really does make this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, James Carville, uh, we got a terrific guest, but we got a lot to talk about, too. And if anyone doubts the vicissitudes of American politics, just consider. Less than a year and a half ago, Joe Biden was finished and Democrats were envisioning Andrew Cuomo as their possible savior. One very prominent Democrat was willing to bet me the New York governor would be the Democratic nominee. This week, the best of the Biden presidency, passage of the billion-dollar infrastructure bill, one, by the way, that Trump couldn't get through with bigger congressional majorities, and Cuomo resigned in disgrace. I think he had to resign. I know he had to resign. It's different than Al Franken, who shouldn't have been forced out of the Senate, uh, or Virginia's Ralph Northam, who leaves office this year as a very popular governor who overcame an earlier incident of decades earlier had nothing to do with, 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 with sex. But the report of the New York Attorney General, a Democrat, was just powerful. Cuomo's defense was weak and disingenuous. You know, he couldn't have survived under any circumstances. But, you know, his, his years of bullying people and abusive treatment of other politicians left no safety net, net of goodwill. Um, he had a pretty good record, very good record as governor in many ways, but uh, I'm not going to miss him as a, as, a, as a person. Well, the one thing is he wasn't very successful at it. <laughs> I mean, he, he was kind of clumsy. And, you know, when you get into trouble like that, it, it helps if you have some friends that kind of cushion your landing or, or try to help you. And, you know, all of his relationships, if what I believe it was being reported in the press, and I don't have any reason to doubt it, it seems almost uniform, that they were transactional, that they did business with the politicians, would do things with him, and he would do de- cut deals with them, but there was not much personal behind it. And when you don't have the personal behind it, you don't. You, there's, there's, there was no support for him in the legislature. Yeah, and so that that's that. Well, a lot of the factors that came into play, and they all came into play at the wrong time for Andrew. Yeah, and I he deserves his fate. Uh, he he. This is a self uh, created uh, uh, wound, and he absolutely deserves his fate. This was not, however, James. Good news for Republicans. They lost a political whipping boy, and they have a new governor, Kathy Hockley who's the first woman governor of the state. She's not going to be an easy target for him. Uh, and I love, I just have to do this. I love to point out the hypocrisy of Elise Stefanik, the number three Republican in the House, who said that Cuomo should be arrested. Now, usually Congresswoman, that occurs after criminal charges uh, for his, what she called, outrageous treatment of women. Yeah, it was. But Stefanik is, is the leading Trump sycophant to advance your political interest 
uh, and apparently has no outrage at the multiple sexual uh, indiscretions of the former president is said to have made. He bragged about him, including rape. You know, she James, a Harvard alum, is in our Ivy League Sphincter Hall of Fame, and once again this week, uh, she proved how deserving that is. Correct. And, and that doesn't even get into Matt Gates or, or Dennis Hassert or Ken Starr or, or, or the, the, all of the other Republican sexual piccadillos, if you call it. This is unbelievable. You know, when, when you become, when you enter Trump land, you leave truth land. So that's just what happened with her. Not surprising. And yeah. it won't hurt her because her people want to be, they want to be lied to. Yeah. Uh, they demand yeah, uh, lies. But uh, I don't know if, uh, if the governor-to-be uh, in, in uh, two weeks will face any kind of primary opposition next year from the attorney general or otherwise. But I would think it's a very blue state, uh, and I would think the Democrats are now in pretty good position to hold it. Yeah, what little bit I've read about it, and again, it's somebody else's opinion. I hadn't read a lot. It's kind of favorable. I mean, she, she's upstate, moderate, progressive Democrat. That's a, I think that's a pretty good. Uh, I, so, pretty I good, wish yeah, it well. I do too. James, we mentioned earlier what a good week it was for Biden. Uh, that infrastructure bill that passed the Senate, it's not law yet, it just passed the Senate. Uh, with bipartisan support, uh, was is a very good bill. We have crumbling bridges, antiquated rail systems, second-rate airports, uh, no broadband in rural areas. Uh, <clears throat> these are unmet needs for years, and this will address that, and it's going to create jobs. There were 19 Republicans who voted for this, but let's not quite celebrate a come-by-eye moment yet. Uh, those roads, bridges, airports, uh, are just as bad in red states as they are in blue states. This was an issue Trump could have gotten this this bill three or four years ago uh, if he had any semi competence uh, governing. Uh, and uh, I, I I think that uh, there's a lot of bigger issues ahead. And if anyone thinks Mitch McConnell has become this champion of let's work together, let's show the Senate can work. I'm an institutionalist. He came out this week adamantly opposed to an increase in the debt ceiling which is nothing but a cheap political stump, stunt. A lot of tough times ahead. Yeah, so explain. You know, it also passed by a 50-49 vote, the $3.5 trillion budget. What, what's the, how is the infrastructure bill and the budget bill, what happens here and where are the pitfalls? Well, the infrastructure bill now has to pass the House, which I think it will. It's just a matter of when. Uh, uh, Pelosi and some of the liberals are saying, we ain't going to pass this until you pass the other bill through the Senate. What the Senate passed was, in essence, authorization to take up the $3.5 trillion. You now have to take it up. This is in their budget, but there are going to have to be lots of compromises. The particulars will be really difficult. Do you want to spend X for child care? Do you want to spend X for elder care? Do you want to raise X amount of revenues? There'll have to be compromises, but, you know, they needed to get that first step. But that doesn't, so this first step doesn't take care of what the progressives of Pelosi no, want. No, because they say, now they may end up, I think, compromising or caving, if you will, at the end on this, uh, <clears throat> because I don't think they want to hold up that infrastructure bill to November or December when... Well, they would get a lot of Republican votes if they got 19 senators. You got to assume they'd get... Some house you members. will. I think what Pelosi doesn't want to do is end up having 20 of her members or so oppose it. Uh, if she has to, in the end, she probably will. 
but they also want to keep the pressure on the Senate. And, um, and, I, and, and this other bill will be much tougher. It's much tougher for two reasons. Number one, the size is so much bigger. But secondly, they're supposed to have taxes, revenues to offset most of this. You know, you can get the child credit extended. You can get Medicare uh, to cover uh, dental and vision. You can get pre-K and, and community colleges. But boy, you try to increase taxes on vested interest. That's going to be tough. Now, they'll do some of it. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not going to be a pretty picture the next couple of months, but legislative process rarely is. Yeah, the one that I like the best is like IRS enforcement. I mean, people think yep. there's a lot of who can complain with that. Oh, they are. Case, they have hired more K Street lobbyists than that, because among other things, what it does, it goes after rich tax cheats. Uh, and it also requires them. The other part of that provision that's so important, it requires them to report a lot of income that they've hidden so far with shelters and the like. And a lot of the big financial firms don't want to do that. They have all kinds of games and gimmicks and loopholes. And uh, and this will uh, expose some of them, require them to pay taxes. Yeah. You know, it's so destructive. But people say they got all these loopholes and everything. The average guy, you put a 1041, they take it out of your check. I, I, it, 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 their only excuse is it's going to cost us more in taxes. You're right, because you're avoiding too much. Right. It's not changing the law. You just got to report the And income. it's not going to cost the welder uh, uh, and uh, who's a welder and the spouse is a, is a, a school teacher, a librarian. It ain't going to cost them a thing. They don't have those loopholes. No. And, and, and the rich will have to pay just like the, the working people pay. They won't they'll yeah. find other ways to skirt around it, but It'll cost them something, and they need to they need to pony up and pay. But you know, James, some of those provisions, if the Democrats play it right, are are first of all enormously important, and second, enormously popular. For seniors to be able to use Medicare to cover uh, vision uh, and hearing uh, and dental problems is a big deal. To extend that that the child tax credit took millions and millions of families out of poverty. It expires next year. To extend it is a big deal. We've talked about pre-K and the terrible inadequacies of our pre-K system. This would address that. And one final thing, uh, it was uh, the original proposal was like $400 billion for home health care providers. James, we pay gardeners and parking attendants more per hour in this country than we do people who take care of our elderly and, and our sick at home. Uh, and I'm all for parking attendance, but we shouldn't pay, we shouldn't care more about people who take care of our car than people who take care of our loved ones. So there's a lot of really good, important, popular issues here if they can get it through. Well, the one thing is, is that the two things, it's about the labor shortage. <coughs> it's two things that really help. One is expand childcare. A lot of people are not in the workforce because they can't be. And now with the pandemic, the children at home. And the second is get a good immigration policy because migration is the kind of, at the end, is the kind of answer to all of this. And, of course, you know, there's the continual border crisis, which, you know, Fox is going nuts over. But if they want to complain about labor shortages, one of the best ways to address it is increase migration. Totally agree. And yet I think the politics are very difficult of that. <clears throat> the demagogue reason... Remarkable. I watched Fox News for two hours last night, and uh, there wasn't much on an infrastructure bill, but there was an awful lot on on phony border crises and the suggestion that the whole COVID uh, is because we're bringing people across the 
border who are infecting other people. It's such total bullshit, but uh, that's going to be a tough slot. But, you know, this these next couple months are going to be the acid test of Chuck Schumer's leadership uh, in the Senate. I mean, there's really there's tough challenges ahead. And every night, Joe Biden and Democrats ought to get down on their knees and give thanks that Nancy Pelosi is the Speaker of the House. If anyone can work miracles here, she can. She's going to have to. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of flying left before we land this plane. There is, there is, but I'll tell you something. If we land it, it'll be a hell of a flight because they've got a, gives Democrats a lot to run on next year if they're successful. Uh, and what they don't want to be is is uh, a failure. And the infrastructure bill alone is not sufficient for an agenda this year. No, and and we're, we're cruising for a bruising right now. Yep, yep, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, well, uh, we'll. Be back at this in, in September. The other thing that I didn't mention is uh, they also, Chu Schumer has said he wants to bring up the voting rights bill. Republicans naturally objected. Uh, they kind of like, they don't kind of, they do like voter suppression. Simple reason, James. It means fewer Democrats vote. But that voting rights bill uh, at some point uh, is going to have to be passed with a carve out of the filibuster rule. Uh, that's also a tough slog. But man, is that important. Trump, who who never speaks the truth, actually said it one time. He said, if we let everybody vote, then we'd never win an election. Yeah. So you're right. Broken clock is right twice a day. Donald Trump. Okay, uh, we will be joining all of this in the uh, weeks and months ahead. Donald McNeil was one of the first journalists to recognize and report on the COVID threat a year and a half ago. No journalist has followed this more closely or perceptively. Uh, he is uh, was a great uh, health and science reporter for the New York Times. Uh, he is now uh, f- freelancing. Donald, you will tell me the medium you're using. And he's writing a book on covering epidemics for the course of 25 years. First of all, Donald, who are you mainly writing for now? I'm publishing on Medium, which is basically self-publishing, and I'm not trying to make money from it. I'm putting everything up uh, to be read without a paywall, uh, just in the hopes that it'll get more readers. Um, well, if you if you want to find out about about COVID, go to Donald McNeil on Medium, and I'm sure other issues too. Uh, you know, Donald, as the Delta variant was spreading, you wrote that the, you asked, "What is the Biden administration waiting for? Why hesitant?" Why shouldn't the administration, you know, move more quickly? What should they be doing right now? Well, the things they should have done in January. I mean, they should have recognized how difficult this was going to be. And I, I think they should have started mandating or started making moves to, to mandate vaccines back in January. I absolutely think they should have created a form of vaccine passport, as New York State did, like the Excelsior passport, so that we can tell who's vaccinated and who's not vaccinated. Because right now, we're in a bad situation. They are mandating vaccines, but we're entirely on the honor system. And, you know, that works about as well in America as it would if we let everybody walk into the DMV and say, oh, sure, I can drive and hand them a license. Or if we let everybody walk up to the borders and say, oh, I'm an American citizen and just said, come on in without asking to see a passport. It's not working. Well, one mild help might be the final FDA approval, which I gather is going to be forthcoming probably in a couple of weeks ago on the vaccines. I, I understand the import of clinical trials, but we've had almost what, you know, close to 200 million Americans have been vaccinated. Why has the FDA been been dragging its feet? 
Well, I, I don't have any insight into the FDA. There, I mean, one, there's nobody in charge. <clears throat> I mean, we do not have a, currently have a head of the FDA. <clears throat> and even though very competent people are running it as acting directors, that's not the same thing as having a full-time FDA commissioner. Um, and also, they're following the standard patterns, which in normal times, you know, which is, which is safety testing and in the order of healthy adults, seniors, uh, teenagers, children, and you know, ultimately pregnant women who are the, the the most vulnerable group. But we decided very early on that pregnant women ought to get these shots, and we didn't decide that based on long clinical safety trials. We decided it based on a a number of pregnant women who were having bad outcomes who were who were unvaccinated, and b a number of pregnant women got vaccinated accidentally because they didn't know their pregnant time, and the outcomes were fine. So now doctors very much urge pregnant women to get the shots, um, and. You know, we're in a crisis and we are, even if they approve the vaccines today across the board, we're too late. In the South, school opens in two weeks. In the rest of the country, school opens in three, four weeks. Um, if you start give somebody a shot, it takes at least six weeks to build immunity if you do use one of the two-shot um, vaccines, three weeks, three to four weeks between shots plus two more weeks to build immunity. So we're behind the eight ball already as we're already seeing surges in the South um, particularly, but also another positive of my worry is that, is that kids are going to face a sort of multi-demic, that they're going to face COVID because they're unvaccinated. That doesn't necessarily normally have a bad outcome in kids, but you've also got respiratory syncytial virus and many other causes of the common cold. Those are common colds, but you have a certain number of kids who are going to develop bacterial super infections that have to be hospitalized and on oxygen. And we don't know how bad flu season is going to be. Uh, this is more likely to be the year where we have the equivalent of a twindemic than last year was when everybody was on lockdown and there was no transmission. But Donald, also these uh, kids who've been out of school for a year, uh, a year and a half, uh, some of these young kids have built up uh, less immunity. And, uh, you know, the, the notion is that they really don't get terribly sick. We hope they don't get it. But I, tell me, uh, is there a danger when you combine it with, uh, with the flu and other things that we could have some really sick kids, not just kids who were out of school for a week or two. This is not theoretical. <laughs> the pediatric in, uh, ICUs in some states in the South are already, or in some cities in the South are already getting crowded. All right, we didn't see that earlier in the pandemic. Um, it's not necessarily just COVID. It's COVID plus other viruses, but we're seeing a surge in the other viruses. And, you know, Kids, most kids will be okay, but a significant chunk of them will not do well. And that's, you know, quite scary for society. We're sort of used to the idea that 80-year-olds are on their way out the door and we feel sad about it. But when children start dying, you know, we're not the country we were when I was a kid. My parents had five kids. My mother died. My father married a woman who had five kids. I was one of 10. You know, had I gotten strep throat and, and it turned into scarlet fever and died, my stepmother still would have had her hands full. Um, you know, now most families have one or two kids. And this is, you know, it's, it, it's both a human tragedy and it's going to be, it's going to upset people quite a bit politically if a lot of kids die. James Carville. So I, I, my family in, is in the epicenter of this in Baton Rouge. And the chief medical officer of the biggest hospital in the state, which happens to be in Baton Rouge, said anybody that comes to this hospital is getting substandard care. We can't give the standard of care we need to give to people who have COVID. We have people with chest pains that are stacked up outside. They got nervous families. We can't get to them. I, I mean, it's, 
I, I get so I get so mad. I want to punch these goddamn people. All right, it's not just you and your freedom, or if you get it. I, I, I want to have a thing and hand it to people I don't have. It says I pledge to never show up at the ER if I have it, because what's going to happen to me is I'm 76. I'm going to have a heart attack. I'm going to get in a wreck. All right, I'm going to have some catastrophic event, and there's going to be no room at the end. And that's the real problem that, that that's being faced out there. And, and, it, and it's unnecessary. That's my view. I, I, I get mad, so I, I'm going to try to calm You're down. You're right, and there's data to back you up. There were studies earlier on in the pandemic that showed that if you were hospitalized in a hospital that had more than 75% of the ICU filled, meaning the doctors and nurses were extremely busy, especially trying to tend the ventilators, which is you know 24 hours a day care with, with several respiratory technicians watching a bunch of people. If you were in a, in a, in a more than 75% overcrowded ICU, your chances of, of survival dropped by half. Um, that's not a good situation to be in a hospital. You, you, and, and we've seen, you know, we've seen even scarier situations when you saw hospitals, you know, in other countries in large numbers running out of oxygen. Um, we saw in Los Angeles, we saw a few hospitals get close to running out of oxygen or the equipment was so overused that it began to freeze up. Oxygen generating equipment ices up if it's, if it's uh, it forced, to, forced to be overworked. So there's a lot of danger in this situation. Yeah, so I'm going to go, I'm going to get back to vaccine hesitancy because I think that's the, that's the real thing we're dealing with. And one of the things I tell people, there's 190 million of us that got a shot. Do you know a single fucking one of us that wants to take it back? <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you the worst selling pill in the United States would be a vaccine neutralizer. <laughs> oh, I got this thing. I'm going to tell you. I, I don't want it. I mean, it's just, just, it's absurd. And if you look at the, the numbers in Florida, Louisiana, South Mississippi, Arkansas, if you're not vaccinated, you're going to get it. I mean, it's just, if the test positivity rate is like 28% right now. Right, right. And absent something right. happened, that's just, you're just going to get it. I mean, I have a member of my family who won't get it. I, I want to hit him. I really do. He's got two boys, twins, you know, that are young, but they, they'll, and it just, and compound that by, and then people screaming about the governor has a mass mandated school. What kind of parent would send their child to a school in St. Tammany Parish that has a, probably 150 cases per 100,000, right, without being masked? Uh, well, okay, I don't, I don't approve of punching as a medical intervention. <laughs> but not that anybody asked me because I'm not a doctor. I'm, I'm a journalist. But, mm-hmm. but, but, um, but get the reaction um, you have. You know, I am, I am baffled. By the governors, particularly of, uh, of of Texas and Florida, because you know Florida has a fair number of people who are over fifty in it, and many of them vote. And if you put a lot of your own voters at risk, what are your chances of being reelected? I assume that he's hoping to become a national figure, and you know pick up the Trump vote, um, you know from that. But he's putting his own citizens at risk, and uh, and and that's extremely dangerous. The same thing's going on in Texas. I, I you know how many times do they have? to watch people die in their own hospitals. This is not watching New Yorkers die, which some people enjoy. This is watching people in their own hospitals die. And, and you know, I'm baffled why they can't learn this lesson. I thought they would have learned it last summer when, when the first surge hit the South, but it didn't seem to catch on. Well, so I know everybody asks you this, and it's the ultimate question, but how does this end? I mean, what's the trajectory of these it things? It ends the way all epidemics end. Uh, you know, ultimately, 
you reach herd immunity and you reach, you know, the good way to reach herd immunity is through vaccination. The bad way to reach herd immunity is that everybody's been infected. <clears throat> and it doesn't, it's never going to completely end. I mean, we have to, we have to realize that this is going to become an endemic virus, but the, so, so that it will end as an epidemic, not disappear completely as a disease. It'll probably be at very low levels, but it'll probably come back for the rest of our lives and our grandchildren's lives. Um, and hopefully we'll have, you know, better vaccines each time against it. Um, it ends when we reach a level of death we can live with, you know, so that we conduct life as we normally do. With flu, that's, you know, we know that between 12,000 and 60,000 people die of, Americans die of flu every year. 60,000 is a really bad year, like 2017-18. 12,000 is a really nice year. <clears throat> if, if, if we get to that level of death, uh, you know, when the headlines disappear and stuff, the epidemic will be effectively over, but it won't be the, the, the pathogen won't be gone. Al, I'll turn it over to you so you can ask about the third shot, because that's all I well, want to know. Well, you know, <laughs> I do want to ask about that, but I first want to ask, Don, you say it will end when you get herd immunity. <clears throat> Is there a danger of a new variant now uh, as this spreads that could be as lethal, if not more lethal, than the Delta variant? You know, people are worried about the Lambda variant, which is the South American variant, and I was more worried about the South African variant earlier. I, you know, the, the the Delta one, which is the Indian one, seemed to outcompete that. Um, yeah, there's some room for that. I mean, at some point, you know, you burn up all the kindling. Uh, you don't have a lot of people who are both unvaccinated and uninfected who who serve as as the medium for the uh, you know for, for the spread. But I I don't know exactly when we're going to reach that yet. Uh, if if you get enough people immune, then you knock down the spread of variants, even if they turn up. And let me pick up on what James just mentioned. There was an Israeli study that indicates that the effectiveness of these vac- vaccines lessens considerably after lessens at least after six months. Who should be getting booster shots now? Well, definitely the immunocompromised should be getting boosters. Um, right. That is to say, people who are on, uh, you know, have had organ transplants or stem cell transplants, people who are in uh, immunosuppressive cancer treatment, um, a lot of people taking the different med. You know, when when you hear those advertisements that that say, you know, don't take this medication if you know, watch out for tuberculosis, or you know, tell your doctor if you've been in an area with funguses. If you're taking one of those medications, you probably ought to talk to your doctor about that. Uh, one estimate I've seen is that about 3% of the United States is immunocompromised. Uh, that astonished me. Um, and that's that's actually a gigantic change in the history of virology and epidemiology because in, in the past, you know, when a virus, a new virus appeared in a population, it sort of had two pathways. Either it killed its hosts and, and you know, rapidly and died out, or it got weaker and more more able to transmit and and spread, um, but tended to get weak. Now we have this large population of partially immunocompromised people, and that's probably where the variants are springing up because they have low levels of virus in their system and they're constantly under weak assault by the immune system. And we saw this in one patient in England. He he, he went through months of uh, of variants and produced variants that, thank God, never spread uh, inside him. So that that's a that's a constant problem. But but anyway, in in general. The immunocompromised should get booster shots first, and then you presumably would want to start, you know, with over 80s and then over 70s and then over 60s and and, and so on down the line. Um, and you, you may want to mix and match shots so that if your first shots were Moderna, maybe you want the AstraZeneca shot or the Johnson & Johnson shot or whatever. Well, you know, that, that there actually is some evidence that that gives you greater protection 
in order to stretch vaccines, we also may be able to fractionate the doses so that rather than getting a full shot, you might be able to get a third of a shot so that the vaccine spread out to three times as many people. And there's no issue of supply, right? We have we have a plentiful supply. Well, there's a... I, I mean, we're we're making an ugly choice now. I mean, the world faces a vast right. shortage of supply. We in the yeah. United States do not right now face a short a supply shortage, but you know we do need to share our shots for, with the rest of the world, both for charitable purposes and ultimately because we're not going to be able to travel and the world's not going to be able to send people here and businesses and international businesses isn't going to be able to function until all countries are are protected. Um, so. Yeah, we're being a little piggy and grabbing onto all the shots in order to protect ourselves first, and I think it's worth debating the the morals and the ethics of that. Um, if it were not for the American taxpayer putting out eleven billion dollars, these vaccines would not exist, um, and we're paying mostly, you know, for the shots to go to other countries. So you can argue that we get first dibs and then we can help others, or you can say it's immoral and uh, and we ought to be helping others uh, before we give ourselves an extra dose of protection. I'm going to let other people fight that one. James. So, so as, I, as I understand it, at some level, the more that this virus translates, transmits, the more likely it is to mutate. And if it mutates in India or South Africa or, or South America, it's going to get hit. Or, or it's, it, we already have mutants that sprang up in New York and Los Angeles. I mean, I think they're the Epsilon and the Iota. You know, I'd call them the Wall Street and the Sunset Strip uh, virus variants or something like that if I was naming these things so that we could remember where they're from. But uh, anyway, no, they, they, they spring up anywhere. And, and they, the question is, which one's going to outcompete others? That's not really predictable in advance. Right. And, and so, but I would argue that the United States if you just have the sort of America first attitude. That's kind of dumb because it, 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 the rest of the world, if we don't help vaccinate them, it's ultimately going to come back to us. It, yes, it will come back to us depending on our, our levels of protection. We have to help the rest of the world. But, you know, uh, along with the question of fairness and, and you know, who pay for these things is the question of political suicide. If, if if the American people began to perceive that Joe Biden was doing more for Cameroon than he was for Alabama, um, it would not go well for him in the next set of elections. So I think this is a calculation on, on the administration's part, too, that they've absolutely got to make sure that Americans are protected as much as possible. Well, Alabama had to get rid of 67,000 doses because they expired and people yeah. won't take it. <clears throat> yeah, the governor, who's actually, I think, is doing pretty good. I thought she was going to start crying. I mean, it, 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 it's really, it, it, it's really, it's really bad. And you know, if, if you look at the, the map that they have, you know, the dark red, the, the most infections over the week, that entire thing has crept north. I mean, Kentucky is now a lot redder today than it was before. North Carolina is a lot red. You know, it used to be Florida, Louisiana, Arkansas, Mississippi. That that. You, you can just watch the color progression of this thing going, and it's quite yes. discouraging. and the same is true of the maps of respiratory syncytial virus and other causes of the common cold. They're, they started in the south this time, the surges, and they're creeping north now. Uh, you can find that on the Kinzo weather maps, and, and, uh, uh, some, and you can find on the CDC website, you can find visits for influenza-like illness. It doesn't break down which one it is, but it shows you uh, where people are turning up in emergency rooms saying, I'm sick and I've got, you know, a cough and a cough, the symptoms of, of, of flu. 
So I, I have a suggestion and just react to it. If I was President Biden, I would call Dr. Fauci and say, Dr. Fauci, you're a, a genuine American hero. And six months from now, I'm going to give you the richly deserved Presidential Medal of Freedom. But I'm going to ask you to do one thing. And this is unfair. I hate to do it, but I'm going to ask you to stay off of television. Because for, for, they have demonized this guy so bad, and they have made him into, it, it is no judge, understand, it, it's not remotely fair, it's not remotely anything, but he's become the face of this. And I, I, I think it, it might hurt somewhat that in vaccine. I think happens. he might be, Tony might be, I have not talked to him about this. But I would not be surprised if he would be relieved <laughs> by by that. Uh, you know, it, it's an enormous amount of. Pain. But on the other hand, you know, the networks would go nuts because they're used to asking him, you know, and uh, all the time what to do. I, I I I think it might be a good thing if he were on less. But I also think, um, you know, I'd like to see him replaced by somebody like Norman Schwarzkopf. Uh, not replaced in this job, but as you know, the spokesman saying, you know, no more pretty please, no more. Let's convince you to do this. The data is there. People are dying. Now we're going to go after this in an extremely aggressive way. But unfortunately, we don't have the tools in place without vaccine passports. You know, those little CDC flashcards you can buy for twenty five dollars. You know, filled out one on the internet, and you could add one. You can fill it out yourself too. Just, we've done a very bad job of. of preparing for what was inevitable, which is that we are going to have to impose vaccine mandates, as we are, it looks like, in the military, as we have in the Veterans Administration, as, we, as numerous corporations have, as, as, you know, if we want to avoid a, another round of deaths in nursing homes this year, we're going to absolutely have to make sure that, um, uh, you know, nursing home staff is, is, is vaccinated um, and possibly boosting the, uh, the residents of nursing homes, too. And we have to have some way of proving that, the, but, but we don't. And you know, they, I, I, there's some time, but left to fix that. But, but they've got to start moving, and they've got to move with quite a bit of force on it. Uh, let me let me ask you just one final question, Donald. Uh, we both, James and I, both watch Fox News periodically. I watched it this week for a couple of hours at night. There are two messages that come across. Number one, that a lot of this surge, they say, is coming from illegal immigrants coming across the border. It's all really due to uh, the border problem. And secondly, they bring doctors on who say, you know, we're not quite sure. The science, uh, you know, is not clear cut. There's on the one hand, on the other hand. How do you rebut that, Donald? Uh, I, I have no idea where they're getting this, this figures on uh, illegal immigrants. I know, I know that there are, you know, it, when, when there are testing at the borders, you find a fair number of, of uh, positive people. That's because there are no vaccines in the countries people are coming from. Um, but that doesn't mean that the problem, you know, this is, this is like thinking that cutting off flights from China um, was going to keep the virus out as long as you, you know, only kept Chinese citizens out and you let American citizens come in. It's ridiculous. Viruses are perfectly happy to fly in American noses as they are in Chinese noses. Um, and, and, uh, you know, they find doctors, you, 96%, there was a study done back in, um, July, 96% of all American doctors are fully vaccinated. Um, half of the ones who were surveyed said they intended to be fully vaccinated survey soon. So that leaves 2% of the doctors in the United States not getting a vaccine, which massive amounts of data shows works and is extremely safe. Who are these 2% of doctors and why do they continue to have MD after their name? And 
you know, I'm afraid that those are the ones who are turning up on TV, and and Fox News is dipping into a to a tiny pool of extremely irresponsible people. And that is what the anti-vaccine movement is. I mean, the anti-vaccine movement is not a self-help group of concerned mothers. It is. It is. You know, many books have been written about their conventions and stuff that's shown that it's it's backed by millionaire vitamin makers, you know, sellers of a bottle of vitamin D that'll cost you $45, you know, for something that costs, you know, a, a dollar to make maximum. The people who run clinics that offer to cure children, uh, of, you know, of vaccine-caused illnesses with chelation therapy or with hyperbaric chambers or with other, you know, laetrile-type phony um, medical interventions that can be extremely dangerous. And they make a lot of money doing this, and they keep driving the epidemic forward. And, you know, I said in my essay, look, in the 1930s, we tolerated the German-American Bund. We tolerated the Silver Legion. We tolerated a lot of people who were saying things like, Adolf Hitler is our friend. He has no designs on the United States. Nazism is going to save us from from uh, communism. Uh, you know, uh, Franklin Delano Rosenfeld is controlled by the you know international Jewish conspiracy, and George Washington was our first fascist. I mean, these these are literally the tropes that were being touted at that time. And we tolerated it through the 1930s, but once Americans began to die fighting Hitler, we stopped tolerating that and realized that they were responsible, you know, that kind of feeling was responsible for a lot of American deaths. And it wasn't Facebook that was called in to police them. It was the U.S. Justice Department started investigating the people who were putting forth these tropes. And it turned out, you know, a fair number of them were involved in financial shenanigans and ultimately some were jailed and some were deported. And you know, I think it's time for the Justice Department to look seriously into the into the deliberate disinformation campaign that's costing American lives. We've now lost two hundred thousand more Americans than we did in World War II, and I, I can't stand that. I hate watching these deaths. You know, they were not necessary. Absolutely, you know, absolutely. Uh, I couldn't uh, agree more. I, I get. I, I'm telling you, people. I have a lot of Republican business friends, and they are getting mad at these people. <laughs> I mean, it's really if you run a business. I mean, they're like, all right, I've had enough of this shit. <laughs> about, about time. You know, yeah. I mean, these, presumably these are smart guys. How did they not realize this a year ago? Well, I, I, well, I don't know, but when they start to hit their bottom line, but I think we should publish the names of them. Well, their, their names, I mean, the disinformation dozen is actually, has been published uh, by the Center for the Control of Online Hate or something. I think get the name of the center. Um, they're all well known. They they publish their own names. Um, they're they're very prominent in the in the movement. I'm talking about the guy down the street that's not vaccinated. Oh oh, I see. Sorry sorry. sorry. Well, uh, first we have to get off the honor system. Uh, yeah. Before before that can you, before you even think about that, and then then you got to think about privacy laws. You got You uh, got to mandate vaccines. You're right. And, and, and vaccine passports. Also, I tell you what else you have to do out there. You have to read Donald McNeil on Medium now. Uh, Donald, I, I hope you keep, you'll keep writing about this because you are the best. When's your book going to come out uh, on epidemics? It's, it's a proposal right now. It's not a, it's not a book. Okay. So I, I've been, you know, I was crazy busy covering this pandemic for, for 18 months now. So the chance of writing a book or something is not, you know, I'm only now beginning to go, calm down. Stop writing these these pieces and you know work on a book. Well, we're so we're, we're conflicted because number one, we want to have you on whenever that book does come out. Uh, God willing, this program still still is there. Uh, but number two, we want you to keep writing because that stuff is so good. You have been a fabulous guest. There's no one better on this issue in American journalism. And Donald McNeil, thank you so much. 
my observation here, whatever it is, you ought to be on television more. You got the real good presence, you're authoritative, you know what you're talking about. I'm, I'm serious, and I, you're probably the kind of guy, I don't want to be on TV, I, I just do my work, I'm a, I'm a you know, nuts and bolts journalist, but we got to have people like well, you I, I, you know, I was on TV uh, when I was working for the New York Times. I told the communications uh, people that I would go on anything. I'd go on Fox if they wanted to invite me. I was on Rachel Maddow's show. I was on Christiane Amanpour's show and a number of others. Um, You're on the news hour, the best of all. And I, I'm sorry. Absolutely. I was on the news hour, of course, and I, <laughs> and I appreciated that. Um, and, uh, you know, I did end up getting in trouble for speaking my mind a little too openly on Christian Amanpour's show about what I thought about Donald Trump's understanding of uh, science uh, after his remarks about uh, bleach, you know, injecting bleach. And, and, and uh, I said unflattering things about Mike Pence as a leader of the task force and, and uh, suggested that Robert Redfield maybe wasn't good enough in his job to stay in it. Um, I haven't been invited. You know, I'm here. People know where to reach me if they, if they want. I hope they do. Well, I, I hope this gives you an opening, but thank you very much, and we will stay in touch, Donald. Okay, thank you. Thanks okay. for inviting me. All right. Great, bye. Okay. Right. Thank right. you, Donald. Bye. You okay. bet. Hey, James, you know, if you look at the science, the best way to achieve and maintain consistent deep sleep is by lowering core body temperature. You'd really be amazed. Temperature-controlled sleep restores testosterone levels, repairs muscle after a hard day of work, and improves cognitive function. So you always start your day feeling sharp and alert. But sleeping cool is good for everyone, right, James? Absolutely. Let me tell you a benefit of it. So Marvin and I, I keep kicking or pushing her away because I'm always in search of a cool sheet to sleep on. And when you get this... The really good news is you can spoon, dude, because you're going to be cool under you. You're not searching the bed all night, waking up and looking for a cooler sheet to be on. You're going to have uniform coolness. This promotes spooning, and we know what spooning leads to, only good things. So this is a product that is, you know, a good night's sleep and a good spoon together. You, you can't beat this. Well, and the product is Chili Sleep. It makes custom climate-controlled sleep solutions that help you improve your entire well-being. Chili Sleep makes the Uller and Kube sleep systems, hydro-powered, the temperature-controlled mattress, toppers that fit over your existing mattress to provide you ideal sleep temperature. These luxury mattress pads keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep sleep. As you said, James, whether, you're, whether you sleep hot or cold, these sleep systems are designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. Imagine waking up and not feeling tired. Chilly sleep can help make that happen. And then for an extra layer of comfort, they also make the chilly blanket the only weighted blanket that also can be compared with a control unit for the ultimate sweat-free sleep. So head over to chillysleep.com slash warroom to learn more and check out a special offer available exclusively to Politics War Room listeners and only for a limited time. That's chilly, C-H-I-L-I, sleep.com slash warroom to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up refreshed every day or look for the link in our show notes. Hey, James, uh, our first question is from Michael in Albuquerque, New Mexico. 
And he asked, he says, do you don't you want justice type Democrats, which is the left wing group to run anywhere ever? Nina Turner had the potential not to be a team player with Democrats. So her loss was probably for the best. But you can't deny that progressive voters exist and the younger, more progressive voters are coming into the in, into the party. And and Michael wants us to forget about worrying how Republicans will distort these candidates and their views for a second. If they aren't bashing Biden or talking about defunding the police, could you see yourself supporting a progressive candidate in a safe blue district? Well, you know, I, I don't mean to be a, to try to weasel out of this, but and of course, they exist in the Democratic Party. It's probably 20% of the party. Uh, and they keep losing elections. And But would I rather have a, a justice Democrat than a Republican? Of course. But I'd rather have a justice Democrat than a, a, a trooper for Nancy Pelosi? No, I would not. And if I was voting in the primary, I would... If all things being equal, I would not have voted for Nina Turner. I would have voted for Chantel Brown. Well, but, but but you're right. You can't deny that they exist. They just don't exist anywhere in the numbers that they think they exist or anywhere in the numbers that the press think they exist. But it is a part of the party. I, I, I will acknowledge that. that they don't win. They don't win primaries. They couldn't win well, a New York mayor's primary. It's also a question of definition. Who are they? There are a number of members of the House who I consider very progressive, uh, very liberal, uh, you know, probably a majority. Uh, now, I don't know, they, they may not qualify as justice Democrats or members of the squad, but, uh, you know, they're, they represent districts. They're very diverse in Colorado, Illinois, uh, New York, uh, Georgia. Uh, and uh, uh, they may not have the label justice Democrats, but they sure are progressive. Well, suppose you found a Justice Democrat and ran against Raphael Warnock. Who would you yeah. vote for? You would vote yeah, for Warnock. Yeah. It was Well, Nobody. not only is that a no-brainer, James, you're absolutely right, but Warnock's got a real shot to win a general election where a Justice Democrat would have none. Yeah. Correct. And, and, and again, I understand his question, but if you ask me to acknowledge they exist, I acknowledge they exist. They just don't exist in the numbers that they would like you to believe they exist in. Okay, Michael, let us know what you think. I hope we're moving a little bit uh, uh, towards a consensus on this. The next question comes from Mary in Stockton, California. James, she says, what's your assessment of the chances that Governor Newsom will be recalled? She thinks it would be devastating for California and the nation. I'm not a big believer in polls, but they look don't look very good for him right now, and voter apathy is a problem. Mary, you are dead on right. I am really worried about this September 14th recall. First of all, it's a crazy system. Recalls are totally, have no justification at all. This guy won 62-38 last time, and, and the, the case against him is totally fraudulent. Uh, he didn't screw up on COVID. He did a lot better than DeSantis or Abbott did on that, and the economy is doing fine. This is a political uh, move by Republicans. They know they can't defeat him one-on-one. The way that crazy system works, you vote for the recall, yes or no, and then if you vote to recall, you then have a second group of people, almost all of whom are Republicans to vote for. Uh, I think it's worrisome because of apathy, James. I do too, and, and the, the California economy is more than fine. It, it might be the best economy in the world. All right, It grew in the last five years 21%, followed by New York at yep. 14, and third was yep. Texas at 12. Yep. And, you know, you and I have talked about this in the past. It, why, in, why are California and New Jersey doing so much better than Texas and Florida? That's the question I would pose. 
because they are. And if anyone doubts that, they ought to look at Matt Winkler's Bloomberg data. That's just data. That's not opinion. That's data. Uh, and it, and uh, this is a this is a, a terribly worrisome thing out there because the the if 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 Newsom should lose the recall the same day they vote for these as a clown show these Republicans and that Republican takes over immediately and then serves for fifteen months. So it's a it's a terrible system. I don't understand how the club for gross, given their name, is not for Newsom. Because they are a subsidiary of the right-wing Republican Party, James. I understand, but they ought to change their name because growth is not not their game. California is almost growing at twice the rate as Texas. 21 to 12. And doing a lot better on COVID, by the way. A lot better. But... um, Anyway, Mary, um, you know, keep us keep us posted on how it's going in the next uh, month. This is a, a really important uh, election on September 14th, uh, and you better, you know, help fire people up uh, out there. Hey, James Eton in Manhattan, Manhattan, New York, not Kansas, he says as a newfound admirer of Congresswoman Liz Cheney, I'm worried about her reelection chances in 2022. How can an anti-Trump Republican win in deep red Wyoming? Uh, we're going to find out. It's going to be hard. I, I, you know, and I, I do. I, I'm actually one of my daughter's friends works in her office. And she, you ought to see the phone calls they get from people calling in. You can only imagine. But, you know, you, you, one thing, you, you can't say she's phony baloney, man. She, t- she took a stand and she drove it home. I, I, she probably couldn't do anything else but that, just given well, her nature. Well, I know her fairly well. I know her chief of staff better, but... They're pretty tough people. If her name, if it weren't Liz Cheney uh, and the legacy of Dick Cheney, she would be, uh, she'd be dead. She'd have no chance at all. But she's tough. She's a good campaigner. And, uh, you know, they have some roots there. And, I, you know, I think she has, it also will be probably, you know, a, an absolute circus of those 17 Trump-loving people running against her. So she's got a chance, Eton. Yeah. Dan, in, in, in Mount Desert Island, Maine, uh, I have been there. It's a great place. He said the Republicans have been successful in, in their efforts to defund IRS enforcement. Now they seem intent uh, on investigating unemployment fraud. Why might this be an issue? Numbers compared to tax cheating pale in comparison. Let me tell you something, Dan. This is one of the great, great frauds in Washington. The IRS has antiquated technology, uh, and with more money for enforcement and reporting requirements, they, for every extra dollar you spend, they would raise an extra four or five. They are not raising from you, Dan. They are not raising from the average working Joe or Joan. They are raising from very wealthy people who are tax cheats, some of it legitimate tax cheats, and that's all it is. And the only reason Republicans don't go along with that is because they're getting con- campaign contributions from these people. Right. It, I think it's more than four or five times, but I, I, well, I can't swear to it. It's a, big, it's a big multiplier. It's a big number. Right. A huge multiplier. Right. And why would you be against IRS enforcement? I mean, the average guy gets FICA, gets everything taken out of his check. It's withhold. And so that they can't, you know, they get to do quarterly returns and everything. I, I'm, that, that's ridiculous. And let them make the case. Let them make the case that we want to continue cheating on our taxes. And we don't want you to. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, James Gillian in Mancos, Colorado. 
I, I, I like this question. She says, I'm younger, 34. She says that uh, she is a Carvillian Democrat. And I've spent most of my life in rural America. I try to be active as I can, but our local Democratic Party, often it's frustrating. A lot of our people out there in, in Colorado, she said, uh, this is a different part of Colorado, are retirees from places like Berkeley or San Francisco, who by nature lean more towards the progressive wing of the party. I don't have any problem with a lot of their perspective, but they don't seem to realize that an AOC is not going to win here. In fact, Lauren Boebert, who is really one of the crazies in Congress, basically made her opponent AOC and won. What do we do about it? That's a, I'm so glad that you got that question. All right. I'm so glad. And, you know, I think that, that you know, I think they're going to beat her out there. I really do. But, I mean, the, the trick is you got to recruit good candidates. Right, right. I mean, you know, and Michael Bennett, who, you know, we're a big fan of on this show, obviously, and Jason Crow. And I mean, that, that congressional delegation they have out there is all world. The, the Boulder congressman impeachment was one of the real superstars. Yeah, and like Boulder, I, I know it's a very liberal, you know, chi place, but you talk about a nice town. Jesus. I mean, that's a gorgeous town. And it was a lot of fun going there. But, you know, it, it, it's just become, everything is, you know, really become Denver-centric. And, you know, out in, I guess, the third district that Boulder is in that, you know, Western District, Western Slope. Uh, she, she's, she's like pathetically stupid. And have you ever read her life story? I, I mean, she met her husband because her husband exposed her, himself to her. I'm not making it up. All right? I'm not making it up. You can, you can read the stories about, about her. I mean, the arrest, the, the, everything that you can think of. And, <clears throat> I mean, it, of course she's ignorant and doesn't know what she's talking about, but if you, you look at her life history, you'd find things in there that are less than admirable. Well, you got to get a good candidate. If you get a good candidate, it's, a R, it's an R leaning, more leaning. Uh, it's an R district, but you can beat someone like that. Uh, and that's, 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 that's crucial. So, so hang in there. Uh, and, uh, you know, right, Dan. And because, and recruit more of those Carvillian Democrats. Uh, John James in Mitchell, South Dakota. It's a really good question. He says, many Republicans like his governor, uh, Christy Nome, have been against the idea of mask and vaccine mandates based on the idea the government has no right to require you to wear a mask or get a vaccine because the government has no right to make personal choices for you. John has very well stated the argument they make. Yet these same Republicans have no problems telling a woman what she can and cannot do in regards to her own reproductive health. And the government has every right to control a woman's body and make her personal choices for her. You have nailed it, John. This is hypocrisy. This is only one of a number of hypocrisies uh, on, on this. Uh, it's true on that. It's true on the Republican basic fundamental argument for decades was that we should stay out of decisions that can be made better by the private sector. Tell Governor DeSantis of that when he talks about, you know, forbidding cruise lines from requiring vaccines. They have argued that the government closest to the people is best. Yeah, but that is unless they don't like what the government closest to the people is doing. John, you're right. It's total hypocrisy. George Washington mandated in Valley Forge, mandated that the Continental Army take smallpox vaccines. All right. There's nobody 
In, in World War II, you had sugar rationing, you had gas rationing, you had everything, you had, you had a draft, all right? No one complained. More people have died of this virus than died in World War II. World War II and Vietnam combined? Combined. You don't have, you don't have the freedom to infect other people. You don't have the freedom, anything you can do to reduce the odds you go into the emergency room taking up space from somebody who, who, who really needs the space, that's a sin. I don't know why some of these churches don't come out and just call it, you know, sinful behavior, because that's selfish, and it's sinful, and it, it, it I think it, you know, I, I'd love to get some priest or some theologian to see if this is actually a, a, a sin. I think it is. I, I think it's a sin of selfishness and stupidity. Yeah, you're endangering other people's lives, isn't? Yeah. It, it, you know, your freedom ends where my health and my children and my friend's health begins. Well, it's the old, you know, Oliver Wendell Holmes, you can't uh, cry fire in a crowded theater. That actually was a terrible decision, but it was a very, very uh, important point. You can't, you can't cry fire in a crowded theater and, and stampede people into perhaps, uh, uh, you know, dangerous situations. But that's exactly what this is. James, I, I, I hope they question. sue some of these vaccine misinformers. Yeah, I, 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 the Justice Department, you know, to figure the way that it's liable for this or it's criminal. You know, we're in trouble. I mean, this thing is, I mean, we're in real trouble. James, there's a final question, and I, I, I want you to take time on this one because this is, this is a tough one. So really carefully consider your answer. It's Kingsley from Staten Island, New York. And Kingsley asks... Uh, be careful. You got to be. You got to be. You know. Really consider this. Do you think President Clinton would have beaten George Bush in two thousand if he could have run for a third term? Yes. <laughs> and I also have no doubt that Barack Obama would have beaten Donald Trump if he could have run for a third term in uh, in two thousand sixteen. Look, the experience of of third terms on the gubernatorial level witness Andrew Cuomo haven't always been satisfactory. But the reason we have a two term <clears throat> A limit on the presidency is very simple. Republicans after World War II did to Franklin Roosevelt in death what they couldn't do to him in, in, uh, uh, in life. They enacted that constitutional amendment. And guess who the first person it affected? Dwight David Eisenhower. So I'm, I'm against it. I don't think there should be a limit despite a skepticism about third terms. And Bill Clinton and Barack Obama would have been a lot better uh, if they'd been elected at those times. Reagan would have beaten Dukakis too. That's true. Of course, Bush did, too. Uh, and Eisenhower was probably in not good enough health to run for a third term anyway. Well, but they didn't know it. And he, li- he, did, he, did, live for another, uh, he did live for another eight years. But, uh, he, and, and he'd have beaten Kennedy in 60. Yeah. It was his, I remember his doctor was Paul Dudley White, who was like the leading cardiologist in the country. And, yeah. You know. Well, you know, he had he had an early heart attack, which they hid from the public. No one even knew about it. He had a heart attack, David tells me, in 1949. And uh, nobody ever knew about it until after he died. <laughs> Such is not the world today. Oh, no, no, no. He went down to, he went down to Sea Island, Georgia uh, for six weeks to, to recover. Hey, turn your goals into reality this summer and take action to start learning what you need to get to the next level by joining us in using Blinkist. Blinkist takes top nonfiction books and gives you the key takeaways in text and audio explainers called Blinks 
that you can learn from in just 15 minutes. You can use Blinks to tackle procrastination, get started on developing an idea or business, take your projects to the next level, or dive into history with titles like A Short History of Brexit and What Happened. They've blinked thousands of titles in 27 categories, and if you like podcasts, they blink those too with Shortcast. And it's all in one app and right on your pocket so you can learn anytime, anywhere with Blinkist. James, this is something that's made for you and me. Well, first of all, I I, I love our products because I like spooning, and I've been diagnosed, I mean, but serious people, is having attention deficit disorder and a pretty, you know, a, a, a real textbook case of it. And Blinkist is just made for people like me, just made for it. Uh, and, and the idea that you have this kind of range in one spot, it also, you know, it at least sets it up, you, you're just good to go. It, it, it's a remarkable product, and it's particularly remarkable. I'm not going to say I'm a busy person and I don't have time to read, but I, I, I do have significant concentration issues, and this, this, this is manana, man. This is from heaven. Well, it really is, and you can get your summer reading list from Blinkist, Books like The Prince by Machiavelli and A Promised Land by Barack Obama. And right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash to start your free seven-day trial and get 25% off of a Blinkist premium membership. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash and you get 25% off and a seven-day free trial. Blinkist.com slash or look for the link in our show notes. Hey, James, my outrage this week, Texas Governor Greg Abbott. He'd been a miserable failure in dealing with a COVID crisis, cases surging in the state. He's also a big voter suppression guy trying to push that through a special session again. But let me tell you what else he wants to pass. A law that prohibits local governments requiring employers to offer paid sick leave for workers who are ill or taking care of sick sick children. Let's unpack this for a moment. One, this is through Governor Abbott, the pro-family party is anti-family if it conflicts with their business interests. Two, the party that used to argue that that government is best closest to the people No longer true if that government closes to the people or Democrats. And finally, the needs for paid sick leave, which is a staple of most advanced economy, is greater due to COVID. This adds to Abbott's failure. We have for a while on this show, James, advanced the notion that Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida may be America's most irresponsible governor. Greg Abbott's giving him a run for the money. Yeah, I still go with DeSantis. Uh, I mean... He, 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 he just comes across as a giant asshole. But yeah, he does. I, I, you know, my outrage is pretty predictable. It's these anti-vaxxers. I, I mean, first of all, in my opinion, you, you're, you're immoral, you're unpatriotic, and, you, and you, I can't tell somebody is stupid. I, I know people that don't take it, and they choose to be stupid. It, it, it's a choice that you make. And... <clears throat> We should be out of this shit, all right? We should be out of this by now. And they're the reason that we're in it. And I, I, I'm, I, I think we're at the point now where we're going to have to have public shaming. 
And they need to sue some of these vaccine misinformers. They got to do something. And I, I guarantee you that they're going to, we're going to have more draconian messages. I'm not going back to Louisiana. Not until the situation changes. Now, most people don't have that option. But, but anybody that has the option of being somewhere different, if you just go look at the map, the New York Times interactive map, and just look at infections per 100,000, and it, it, it tracks with stupidity. If you overlaid a stupidity map of the United States to a vaccine map, you would find a very high correlation, very high. And a lot of people just choose to be stupid. And that's okay, you know, if you're stupid and you jump off something, you break your leg, well, just go to the emergency room, you get out of there. This year, infecting other people is not just a selfish choice that you're making. It's a stupid choice, and it's also a sin. So that, that I, 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 every time I think of these people, I, I want to hit them. Agreed. Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville. I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. Following this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you'd check out the link to our sponsors, Chili Sleep and Blinkist. We deeply thank you for supporting them when you do and helps making this podcast happen. To keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our War Room planning. You can spoon, dude.